Hi there. Welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy that you tuned in. Please join us today as we continue our series through the book of Matthew. Welcome to Branch Life Church and the launch of a brand new series we're calling Follow the Leader. In just a moment, we're going to talk to you about what in the world elephants have to do and have to teach us about leadership. It's going to be a great summer series that we're kicking off today, and we want to encourage you to stay with us all along the way. Maybe you're tracking this later and it's not the summer of 2021. Uh, Jump into this first session and then you can track in on our YouTube channel or at our website to everything that we've done in this series. If this is your first time connecting with us, we want to say welcome. We're glad that you're checking out what's happening at Branch Life Church and you're checking out this teaching. And if you don't have a home church, man, we want to invite you to consider being a part of Branch Life Church, whether you're from afar or whether you are local. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from everyone who's tuning in today. Would you take a moment and fill out your connection card? Let us know that you're worshiping with us today. And again, if it's your first time and you share with us your address, we will send you this free Matthew journal because, hey, we're traveling through the entire book of Matthew as a church, and you can use this journal to track along, to keep notes, uh, to write yourself reminders, and to be an encouragement all during the week. So we'd love to hear from you, whether it's your first time with us or whether you're with us every time on those connection cards. You can let us know how we can pray for you. You can let us know how you've been encouraged. You can ask questions, and we will even work to answer all the questions that come in in some way, shape, or form. So we're going to kick into our Follow the Leader series. Today is also special because we will be at the end of this talk celebrating the Lord's table together. We're going to be inviting you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to participate in communion with us. So you may want to take a few moments here as we kick things off to go grab some elements. You just need something to eat, whether it's bread or crackers, and then something to drink, whether it's juice or water or whatever, it'll work fine. Doesn't really matter what the elements are, but grab those and uh, we'll lead you in this communion time at the end of this teaching. So stick with us as we kick off this series. We're super excited to show you what God teaches us in Matthew chapter 8 through 11 through this entire series we're calling Follow the Leader. Check it out. All right, guys, we are going to dive into our very first episode of our Follow the Leader series. I'm excited that you're here with us. And let's, let's just imagine a dream together for a little bit. What if you followed someone that not only helped you to survive, but to thrive? We're all following someone. We're all following something. And who or what you follow makes all the difference. You know, there is something that elephants can teach us about leadership. So I brought my little friend here, Elefante. He's going to help remind us about this lesson. Why are we going through this series called Follow the Leader Together? What does God possibly want to show us? Well, did you know that in a pack of elephants called a herd, that the leader is always the monarch? Typically, it's the oldest female elephant of the group, the the grandmother of the group. Well into their 40s, 50s, 60 years old, this leader is in charge of taking care of, leading, directing, and guiding her entire family, her entire herd. 
Now she has two jobs that this elephant does. Number one, she helps her herd survive. So you watch these shows and you see these elephants, especially the African elephants that have to travel mile after mile after mile to survive and find water in the desert. This older elephant knows the story. She knows the patterns. She knows the places that her family has to go to get enough water and enough food to survive. Imagine having enough food to feed an elephant, let alone an army of elephants. It's her job to make sure that they all get fed. So she directs them to the right places on the different seasons. And every one of her followers is learning that lesson. Where do we go? Where do we find the water? What happens when it runs out? Where's our next stop? How do we stay safe? It's her job to protect her herd from predators so that those little baby elephants don't get killed so that, there's, so that there is a freedom from not eating the, right, the wrong thing and getting sick. And, and they, they huddle together. They, they have strength in numbers so that they can protect one another because they believe that they're better together. And so that's, that's her number one mission is help her family survive. The second thing that she does, which is powerful in, in illustration to the point that Jesus is going to make through this series, is that it is the leader's job of the herd to make sure that not only does her family survive, but they thrive. One of the interesting things about elephants is they have personalities. There's grumpy elephants, there's happy elephants, there's playful elephants, there's serious elephants. And these elephants just have a lot of the same dynamics that we would have in a group or in our church, right? And they, they have these times together where the whole family just plays and celebrates and frolics. They also have time together where they mourn, where they're sad when they lose someone and when things get hard. And it's, it's the leadership of this elephant that allows the kids to play in the water, the, 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 the whole herd to, to have game time and to roll around and to spray each other with their trunks and, and just to enjoy life. And they get to do that because they're following the right leader. Imagine this. Imagine if you followed the leader that not only helped you to survive, but helped you to thrive. Remember, we're all following someone and the leader that you follow makes all the difference. That's what we're going to be learning about in this series. As, as Matthew takes us through a bunch of stories that show us an example of why Jesus is the best leader to follow. What happens when you follow Jesus and make him Lord and what difference it makes in our lives to follow him versus all of the other options in there. So again, if you're, if you're just joining us for the first time, you are hitting this discussion at the right moment. We're about to talk about this for the rest of the summer of 2020. This, all these episodes will be available online. And we want to encourage you to lean in and join us again. And for those who are a regular part of Branch Life Church, grab your journals and start writing down each and every week that we're together what God is showing you, what God is teaching you about why to follow Him, how to follow Him, and what difference it makes when we follow Jesus in our lives. He's calling you to probably adjust some behaviors and to examine yourself and see if you're following Jesus in every area of your life. 
this series that's going to teach us this incredible lesson. The greatest freedom is found in following Jesus as Lord. We're going to run through Matthew chapter 8 verses uh, chapter 8 through chapter 11 together this summer and let's jump in with story number 1, the leopard. Remember Jesus had just talked on the Sermon on the Mount. He had talked in front of a crowd of a whole bunch of people. Some were followers, some were finding him and some were fighting against him. And when he got done, everybody had to make the decision, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with this teacher, with this preacher? What are you going to do with this miracle worker, this person that fulfills prophecy, who's the, who's the Messiah of the world? What are you going to do with Jesus? You and I have to ask that same question. What are we going to do with Jesus? What happened after his teaching on the mount? It says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. There was a great number of people that decided to follow Jesus. They are going to walk in the dust of their rabbi. Back in the Bible times, when you, when you had a rabbi or a teacher, they didn't teach in a classroom as much as they taught on the go. And so the students would follow the teacher and they would walk on these dirt roads, these dirt paths in their sandals and the dryness of, of the, the Israelite land. And the teacher being in the front would kick up dust. And everybody following that teacher would get that dust on them. They'd have to clean their feet. They'd have to clean their robes. You know, they were constantly getting rid of the dust that they were in. You didn't want to be in the back because you got covered with everybody's dust. But it became a tradition to say that you were covered in the dust of your rabbi at the end of the day. These people decided to be covered in Jesus' dust. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to learn from him. They wanted to, to know what he knew. They wanted to do what he did. And, and that's, that's the, the choice that they made. So in trying to understand what it means to follow Jesus, when we invite you in this series to say, join the crowd, follow Jesus, we're going to see story after story after story of who followed Jesus. The blind followed Jesus. The leaders, the rulers followed Jesus. Skeptics followed Jesus. The wind and the waves followed Jesus. The spiritual realm followed Jesus. And we want to encourage you to join this crowd and to follow Jesus. So grab your Bibles. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. If you have your journals, it's page 40. We're going to see story number one about the leopard. Now here's, here's what's, what's happening in this story, right? Jesus is teaching and there's a great crowd of people. There's one group of people that weren't allowed to be a part of that crowd. They were outcasts in their own country. They were separated from their families because they had a disease. They had what's called leprosy. And so from afar off or learning secondhand, they were watching and hearing and, and deciding themselves what they needed to do about Jesus. And the Bible says that a leper, an outcast, came to Jesus. Now lepers in this culture or the, the disease of leprosy is not as common today as it was back in Bible times. But when you got leprosy, you were receiving not only a death sentence, but a socially death sentence dead sentence. Because you had to live somewhere else, you couldn't see your family and your kids with fear of giving them the disease. We might understand this a little bit more now post-pandemic than we did even a couple years ago. If you got COVID, you had to quarantine, you had to separate yourself from your friends, your families, and loved ones. You had to do that for 7 to 14 days. Imagine having to do that for a lifetime. 
This disease, leprosy, overtakes the body. It's a skin disease. And this disease eats at your skin. It eats at your body. And, and what will happen over time is you might lose fingers or ears or your nose. As literally your body it's, eats itself and it rots away until ultimately you can't survive. Leprosy then takes your life. This was the plague of this generation. So one of these disease carriers, one of these outcasts comes up to Jesus. He's the poorest of the poor. He's the sickest of the sick. And he came up to him and he knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will. And, and it was not like a question. It was if you decide to do this, if you determine this path, then you can make me clean. You have that power. All this leper wanted was to be cured from his leprosy. There's another story in 2 Kings chapter 5 of a man named Naaman. Naaman had the same disease, except Naaman was a ruler. Naaman was a prince. Naaman had money and power and fame. But his leprosy was going to take all that away. And so Naaman did what people in Bible times did. They tried to find someone who could help them. They, tried to, they would try to find a leader who could cure them. And so Naaman was, was taking a survey of all the gods, of all the religions in the world. And he was saying, which one of these religions can make a difference in my life? And ultimately he came to the God of the Israelites and he found a prophet and he came up to this prophet and he said, can your God heal me? And the prophet said, yeah, if, you, if you'll bathe in the Jordan River, and this was this huge story for Naaman, then, then God is able to heal you. And Naaman does what the prophet asked him to, to do and he comes out of that water cleansed and clean. And then Naaman decides that the God of Israel is the one true God because it's the only God that helped him. It's the only God that could heal him. This leper had come to that same conclusion that Jesus was that God who could heal him. And he calls him Lord after kneeling. He kneels before God. And imagine the crowds of people that were following Jesus sees this leper come up. And you just watch them all kind of back away. Don't breathe the same air. Don't touch this man. This is a leper. He is unclean. And this leper finds his way to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't cringe. Jesus doesn't back away. Jesus doesn't look at him in disgust or out of fear. He looks down at this leper in love who's kneeling before him, who's declaring him Lord of his life. And he says, you can make him clean. And then Jesus stretches out his hand and the crowd just gasps. He starts reaching out and he touches the leper. And everyone went, oh. the most dangerous thing you could have done in this moment is touch that leper. And Jesus touched him saying, I will it be clean. What an incredible moment Matthew has recorded for us. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. What a celebration. The crowd is like, this is a miracle worker who can heal, heal the disease of leprosy, the plague of our generation with a simple touch. He's not scared of disease. He's not scared of death. He has power over it. And then Jesus said to him something that rocked everybody's world. See that you go and say nothing. Say what? Why would Jesus tell the leper to say nothing to anyone? He's supposed to keep his healing a secret or how he got healed a secret. In the rest of the verse, Jesus is like, you got to go to the, the leaders. you got to show them that you're clean so that you can re-enter life. 
So he was going to go to the religious leaders. This was an Israelite that had to follow these certain procedures, right? You got to get tested. You got to put the swab up your nose. It's got to come back negative. Now you can reenter society. So Jesus said, go do that, but don't tell anyone how you got clean. Why in the world would Jesus tell him to keep it a secret? This is a challenging question. Jesus did this from time to time after a miraculous healing. He instructed the person, he instructed the crowd not to tell anyone what they saw, not to tell anyone what happened. But why would Jesus do that? There's a, there's a powerful reason behind this command that Jesus gave. You see, Jesus had the power to heal everyone, but he was choosing not to. You see, this wasn't the only leper in Israel. There were many, many more. When Jesus healed blind people, when he healed the, the, those that were lame, when he caused the, the mute to speak, there were other blind people. There were other lepers. There were other people that were lame. He didn't eradicate leprosy in this moment. And Jesus didn't want people to follow him just because they would be healed. Because the truth is, not everyone who follows Jesus is healed. He doesn't heal everyone, but that's not why we're supposed to follow Jesus. Here's the powerful truth. We don't follow Jesus because he will heal us. We follow Jesus because he can heal us. What a powerful truth. We follow the one who can heal. We follow the one who has the power over disease. And story number one shows us this in a huge and powerful way. But here's the truth of the matter. You will one day pray a prayer for healing that Jesus will say no to. You will one day ask Jesus to take away a sickness or a pain or a hurt. And Jesus in that moment will say no. And some of us out there have experienced this already. We ask Jesus to save someone. We ask Jesus to remove uh, cancer from our lives, to, to, to free us from from whatever was holding us down or holding us back or whatever pain was in our spirits. And Jesus, God, did not take that away. He did not heal us in that moment. And because of that, we walked away from God. We got mad at God. We, we told God that, that, that how dare he not do what he could said he did. Some of us said, we, we're going to stop even believing in God because if God could heal me, he would. If God could have saved my loved one, he would have, but he didn't, so he must not be there. I remember as a young man, this being one of the powerful struggles of my life because the person that I love more than anything in this world as a young teenager, as a preteen, was my grandmother. I've told you about the story of my grandmother, how in the, these preteen years, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. This was the godliest person that I knew. She prayed like crazy. She loved people. She helped start many churches. She was all about following Jesus. And how dare God make her lose her mind before taking her home to glory. She ultimately forgot all of our names. She forgot what my face looked like. She couldn't even remember that she was reading the same get well cards or well wishes from friends that she had just read a couple of minutes ago. I thought that was totally unfair. How could there be a God in the universe who could heal Alzheimer's who would decide not to heal this precious lady that he calls daughter? My grandmother wrote down the verse for me in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. It's basically like she said to me, we don't follow Jesus because he will heal us. We follow Jesus because he can heal us. And when we decide that we make the calls and we tell God what to do, and if he doesn't do it our way, we get upset, who are we following? In those moments, we're not following Jesus, we're following ourselves. You see, the leper knelt before Jesus and said, if you will, you can. We pray, according to the Sermon on the Mount, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You see, when you're really following Jesus, you are allowing him to be Lord of your life. And if he chooses suffering, if he chooses pain, if he chooses disease in your life, then, then we allow God to make that choice because God is ultimately working things for good that we have no idea about. In our limited, in our limited experience, who would you rather follow? Little old you or all-powerful God? In the story of, in the book of Job, we saw the same story. Job was a follower of Jesus who lost his fortune. He lost his family. All 10 kids passed away and he lost his health. He lost all of it and it was unfair and it was unjust and God allowed it. And the God of the universe said to Job, who are you? Where were you when, we created the, when I created the world? Who causes the, the snow to fall on the tops of the mountains and the fish to swim in the depths of the ocean? He is the God of the universe. He is the one over all of these things. We don't follow Jesus because he's a genie in a bottle who, who does whatever we ask him to do. We follow Jesus because he can do exactly the thing that is best and right for us. He's the one who holds the power, who holds the wisdom. There is great freedom then in following Jesus. We can now not only survive because Jesus can heal us, we can thrive knowing no matter what we're going through, we are in the hands of a powerful God. We can have peace in the storm. We can have joy in suffering. We can have freedom in these moments where other people who don't have Jesus are completely bound by their circumstances. We know that we are bound by the leader. We are bound by the love of Jesus. And it, truly, when you follow Jesus, you will be free because the truth sets us free. As we continue to see these illustrations, we first learn about an outcast Jewish leper who comes up to Jesus and teaches us this powerful lesson. But in story number two, there's a completely different circumstance that, that happens. A centurion comes up to Jesus. Imagine now, Jesus has come down from the mountain, the great crowds have followed him, and parting the crowds this time is not a sick leper. Parting the crowds this time is a wealthy soldier. This is a man who is an authority. He's a general. He's in charge of people. He's wearing the golden armor and the, the large helmet with the red feathers out the front. He's got importance. And when people part for this man, they go, wow, you know who that is? That's General so-and-so. That guy fought in such and such a battle. That guy is in charge of so many people. And this man comes up to Jesus this is a leader of leaders. This is someone who has esteem in their day and in their culture. He's not Jewish. He's not someone who's a part of the nation of Israel or the family of Jesus. He is an outsider. And this centurion comes up to Jesus and he appeals to him. And this leader of leaders says to Jesus, Lord, he acknowledges him with this term of authority. 
He says, I am under you. I am following you. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. We've all kind of experienced these moments where we weren't the ones in pain, but somebody that we knew and somebody that we loved was in pain. That was my situation with my grandmother. I wasn't sick, she was. And a lot of times we hurt more for other people. We hurt when those around us hurt. We, we get devastated when, when somebody that we love is injured. I remember holding my baby girl Delaney for the first time and she was just a little baby and I was a first time dad and I'm holding her close and I'm, I, I was tipping her forward and you know, I'm a first time dad, I don't know how these things work. She couldn't yet hold up her head. And so I, I tipped her forward and her head just flopped and her poor little forehead hit my shoulder bone. And it hit hard, hard enough to hurt me. And she starts crying. And I, in that moment, have never felt more guilty in my life. I have just damaged my little baby girl that I'm supposed to protect. And here she is crying and in pain. And what have I done? And call the ambulance. And I don't know what's going to happen. And she's crying and she's upset. And oh, then she's fine. And she's not crying anymore. And she gets a little bit of food. And I'm just devastated. I'm sick to my stomach for hours after that happened. I was hurt more than she was because I thought she was injured. And we can in these moments decide to get mad at God. God, you might not have healed me, but you totally should have healed them. And this authority comes up to the servant, and he's in that situation. He's in that moment where he's saying, my loved one, my family member, part, part of, of my community is hurting. They're paralyzed. They're in pain. I'm coming to you to help this person. Remember, this, this centurion had all the resources of the Roman Empire. He could have got the best doctors in the world and had them come to his house in any moment. And he said to, to Jesus, I'm a follower of you. Something had convinced this Roman soldier that Jesus was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. This is fascinating. But the centurion replied, Lord, remember, you're in charge. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. This wasn't just a ploy. This wasn't just an experiment. Maybe Jesus will heal. This was someone who was all in with following Jesus. And he couldn't imagine Jesus coming into his house, a centurion, a Gentile, having this Jewish leader, this Messiah. He's not worthy to even be in his presence. You see, the crowds parted for the centurion when they should have been parting for the Lord. He said, I can't have you come to my house. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. You can think it, you can say it, and that healing can take place. Because of course, he's God with that kind of power. For I too am a man under authority. I, I, with soldiers under me, I say to one, go and he goes. I say to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. I'm the guy that's in charge of other people. And I know my place. And my place is to submit to you as my Lord and King. Have you come to this place where you put Jesus as your Lord and King? We fight against this with every passion. This is a huge issue in our lives, allowing Jesus to be in control, thinking that he, we are unworthy to be a part of his family, or we say Jesus is supposed to come and help me and do what I'm supposed to say. Listen, we are dirty rags, and Jesus is the King of kings. It's a privilege and an honor to be in his presence. We have to come humbly before God, 
faithfully into community with the church to be able to worship this king, but we prop ourselves up as our own leaders. And this leader of leaders says, no, I am now following Jesus. Are you following Jesus? And are you grateful that this master, this Lord, this God, this creator cares enough for you? When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow. Now, now Jesus turns to the crowd, right? These are all the people that are like, that centurion so-and-so. And he yells out to them this statement. I tell all you people, all you Israelites, there is no one in Israel in whom I have found such faith. This Roman has outfaith all of you. God's children the chosen nation, this man has more faith than you. Jesus props up a foreigner as an example to everyone of how to follow Jesus. This was an incredible moment, and part of the reason that Jesus is telling the story is he's saying that anybody can follow me, any nationality, any person of, of any, uh, any creed, any status, anyone can follow Jesus. And if you decide to have faith, that faith is what saves you, not your position, not your nationality, not your religion, but faith in following Jesus is what matters. And a foreigner had more faith than Jesus' own people. Here's what he's asking us to do in this story. Have faith. Don't surrender to the empire around you. Submit to the king above you. When you have faith, you do not surrender to the culture to the world, to the empire that's around you. You don't just follow Jesus because it's what your people do. You don't just follow the, the prevailing wisdom of the age. You follow the king who is above it all. But so many of us struggle with this, this absolute challenge to not follow the world. We are bombarded every day from every angle, from every screen that we have in our hands, in every conversation that we're a part of. We are told to follow our empire, to follow our culture, to do it the world's way. We're told to... to uh, follow the religions of this world. We're told to follow the relationships of this world. The media tells us how we're supposed to think. Our politicians tell us what is supposed to, we're supposed to do. Our family members and our friends say, hey, this is the way that we're supposed to live. And so many of us just surrender to the surrounding empire because frankly, it's easy. It's easy just to do what the world around you is telling you to do. The world says it is that right versus what God says? We should constantly be measuring up the message that we're getting to this world and balance them against the message that we're getting from God. You know, the world says, go to church if you feel like it, if it's helpful for, for you, if it's, if it's meeting your needs. And if that's the message, if that's what it means to go to church with our friends and with our family, we're going to go when we feel like it, if we think it's okay. And if we kind of agree with everything that's being said. And so our church attendance can even become cultural. It can become kind of the way everybody else does religion or does church. And we show up when it's convenient. We show up when it fits into our schedule. But what God says about church, God says we don't go to church for ourselves if we feel like it. We go to church because we're supposed to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son. We go to church to be equipped 
so that we can reach out and help other people. We have to get that training. We have to get that connection. We go to church to glorify God together. Imagine if I was a part of a basketball team and I was in the starting lineup of this basketball team and, and the, the coach said, we're going to be practicing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday because we have a game on Saturday. And I said to the coach, coach, you know what? I'm going to show up if I feel like it. I'm going to show up if it's convenient to me. I'm going to show up when it works out for my schedule. I may be there two out of three times, but hey, I, you know, I'll kind of be. And the coach would say, that's great. You're off the team. That's not how it works. God's design for us is to be a body together. Yet so many people think church and religion is something that we do for us. It's not about what we can get. God says it's about what we can give. So we want to do church or be a part of church God's way. We want to do life God's way and not the way that the empire around us tells us to do life. So how are you doing relationships? How are you responding to stress? What's up with politics these days? What's being fed to you in the media? How much screen time are you digesting? And are you living life according to the empire around you? Or are you living life according to God? You know, there's a story in Luke where a son says to his father, I'm out of here. I want to live life my way. And he jumps out of the safety of his family and he stops following his father and he jumps fully into the world. And he's living for money, he's living for fun, he's living for fame. And it all wastes away to nothing and he realizes that everything that he was pursuing in this world, in this empire, was empty. He's realizing that it all had no value and he found that, that his emotions and his, what he thought was freedom was actually enslaving him and he decides that he's going to go back to his father and he'd rather go back to his father as a slave than even be recognized as a son. And he goes back, this prodigal son, after trying to live life the world's way and he goes back to the father and the father fully embraces him, celebrates him and says, my son has returned. You see, in that moment, the prodigal son said, I'm not going to surrender to the empire around me. I'm going to submit to the king above. I'm going to follow the leader that can help me to survive and to thrive. As the story finishes up, the centurion, uh, the centurion who had come to Jesus, Jesus says to him, go and let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed in that very moment from a distance. Jesus does it again. He shows his miraculous power as God. In this moment, in this passage above Matthew chapter 8 and verses 11 and 12, it says that there are going to be many that will come to God. There will be many that will come from different nations, from different places, and, and they will submit to God as king. And they will become a part of the kingdom of heaven. But there will be even, there will be those who were a part of God's chosen people, Israel, who will reject Jesus as king and they will no longer be a part of the kingdom. Those people that don't follow Jesus will be thrown into outer darkness. So it's, a, it's an incredibly important decision about whether or not you decide to follow Jesus. Are you going to follow the God who can heal from a distance? Are you going to follow the, the leader of the universe? Or are you going to decide to follow the world? What do you do with Jesus? If you're ready to become a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to make that decision today, to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. You can go to branchlife.church and click on our gospel tab. 
Well, you'll find a simple explanation of what it means to make that decision. And we encourage you to, to, in a moment of quietness before God, to have a conversation with Him where you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Where you believe in your heart that, that Jesus is Lord and confess that with your mouth. And in that moment, you will be saved. So have a conversation with God. Say you're sorry for your sins. Let Him know that you believe in Jesus who died and rose again for you. And that you want to accept the free gift of salvation. Let's follow Jesus in these moments. So what's the moral of these stories? Story number one about the leper reminds us of this incredible truth that we don't follow Jesus because he will heal us. We follow Jesus because he can. Story number two, the story of this powerful centurion brings us to the idea of not surrendering to the empire around us, but that we get to submit to the king above us. Now, two opposite characters that come together to give us this powerful picture. A poor Jewish outcast leper, a rich, powerful foreigner, all deciding to follow Jesus in the midst of pain and trial and suffering. So what's the moral of this story? No matter who you are, there is always another in the fire when you follow Jesus. No matter who you are, there is always another in the fire when you follow Jesus. The one thing Jesus guarantees about this world is while we are in it, while there is sin, that we will live in a broken world that's full of pain and suffering. What happened to Job? What happens to this leper? What happened to the centurion? Will continue to happen to all of us. In this world, you will have trouble. You're probably traveling through some sort of fire, or you've just come through the fire, or you're about to enter the fire. Whether it's loss or pain, whether it's, it's grief or heartache, it's financial ruin, literally losing everything you have in the fire. When you go through these storms of life, Jesus says, when you follow me, when you become a follower of Jesus, I will always be with you and you will never be alone. So let me close by asking you this question. What is your fire? What are you going through? In the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego literally were thrown in the fiery furnace and other people surrounding them looked in and they saw, didn't we throw three people in the fire, but there was a fourth. And it was one who looked like the Son of Man. That Jesus protected Shadrach and Shadrach Abednego from that literal fire. And they came out of it unburned. What's your fire? What are you, what are you stepping in right now that hurts, that's in pain? I've been in a fire over these last couple of years. And yeah, it's been a hard year because of COVID and trying to plan a church and trying to raise a family and doing all that homeschool stuff. But there's been a fire on top of all of that that only a few people know about. If you're a part of my small group or a part of my family, you would understand exactly what, what I'm talking about. And, and what has been amazing in traveling through this fire is, is one, not being alone. I have an incredible wife who has traveled through this with me together. We have, we have done life and in the hard days, in the hard moments, and in the celebrating days, in the celebrating moments, she has been a steady rock. And it's been an example to me of what it means to not go through life alone and how we are absolutely better together. Those family members and those small, small group members who are part of our church that have wrapped our, their arms around us during this time have been in a huge blessing to let us know that, that I'm not alone, that I'm not alone in this fire. But there was another in the fire 
through this entire journey. And that's been my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's been there the moments that we've cried. He's heard every word that we've prayed. He's allowed us to celebrate even in the midst of the storm. He's the one that provided peace. He's the one that's given wisdom. He's the one that we're able to place our trust in. I don't have all the answers. My wife doesn't have all the answers. Our church doesn't have all the answers. But God does. And he walks with us day by day through this fire, through this pandemic, through this pain, through this hurt, whatever it may be. God was with Job in the midst of his grief and when he lost his health. God was with that prodigal son when he ended up in the, in the pig pen eating the food that the pigs were eating. God was with this centurion when he was concerned about his servant. God was with this leper when he was healing with disease. God can be with you. What's your fire? Are you recognizing that God is standing with you in these moments? As we conclude our time together, we want to invite you into a time of communion. I can't think of a better way to respond to Jesus as Lord than to go through this communion ordinance. As we celebrate the Lord's table in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it gives us several instructions about what we're supposed to do. And the first instruction is that we're to examine ourselves. We're supposed to have a time and a period of, of confession. And maybe today you need to stop and confess that you have not been following the Lord in certain areas of your life. Maybe you've given the Lord some weekends, but you haven't given him every day. Maybe you've given him some relationships, but you haven't trusted him in every relationship. Maybe you've been following the ideas of this world, the advice of, of the culture around us. Maybe you've been believing a lie. Maybe you've been reaching after something. Maybe you've been mad at God because he didn't help you the way that you thought. Maybe you've just been following yourself. And in these moments, can we have a, 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 have a time of confession where you say, God, search my heart. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And you confess your sins. You confess following the wrong leader. You confess not having faith and trust in God. And God says when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This time of communion can be a time of confession where we say, God, I confess that I haven't followed you wholly, that I haven't made you Lord in my life in every area. Will you forgive me of that and help me to follow you as Lord? That's a powerful prayer that you can say in these moments. The second thing that happens during communion is that we then remember Jesus' death on the cross for us. You see, God is so powerful that he has solved our sin and brokenness problem. And he solved that by sacrificing himself on the cross. His body was broken for us. His blood was spilt for us so that we could have righteousness, so that we could be reunited with the Father. And we remember that sacrifice in gratitude and in humility, thanking God and remembering that he has saved us from our ultimate brokenness, sin. And so we remember Jesus' death on the cross. And the third thing is we proclaim it. We publicly proclaim by taking the Lord's table together that, that we are followers of Jesus. One of the most powerful things about communion is that you go through these steps of self-examination, confession, remembrance, and proclamation that in that moment of communion, you are fully, fully in the center of God's will, fully in communion with God. And your relationship is at its strongest. Worship him, talk to him, hear from him during this communion time. We want to sing together the song or hear the song, There's Another in the Fire. It's a powerful song that goes through 
uh, some awesome teaching that we've gone through today. Remember this, there's another in the fire when we go through it. There's another holding back the waters of the sea. And if I recognize him as leader, it makes all the difference in our lives. So as we think and contemplate on these things, as we pray together, as we hear the song, we will then participate in communion together. We lay everything at the, feet of the Jesus, at the feet of Jesus. We kneel before him and we call him Lord and we ask him to heal us. Let's pray together. God, as we come into this communion time, we pray, Lord, that uh, we would take these moments to examine ourselves. So God, in this moment, we do pray that you would search our hearts and allow us to, to realize those things that we need to confess. And Lord, would you forgive us for our sins? God, would you forgive us for our thoughts, for our actions that have been wrong, that have been not pleasing to you, that have missed the mark? Would you forgive us for following this world? Would you forgive us for following others or ourselves? Help us to follow you alone. And Lord, forgive us for putting ourselves or others in front of you. God, we confess this. We confess these things, Lord, and we ask you to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In these next moments, God, we want to thank you for dying on the cross, for breaking your body for us, Lord, for, for spilling your blood on our behalf so that we could be clean and that we could be righteous. And Lord, we proclaim in this action your death until you come. God, help others to know that we love you and that we stand with you and that we follow you. In your precious name we pray, amen. If you want to grab the elements that we introduced earlier on in the service, we want to encourage you to grab something that would represent the body of Jesus, whether it's bread or a cracker or really anything would be able to do that. Get that at this moment and then also have with you something that you can drink. We, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus gathers his disciples together and first, uh, the night before he dies, he takes the bread and he, bro he broke it. And he handed it out to all of his disciples who are around that table. And he said to them that this bread is a symbol and that it represents the body of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, we want to encourage you to join us in this moment of communion. If you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, if you have not yet had a time of confession, or if you're a little bit distracted, it's probably better that you just let this moment pass you by. So grab that bread, and as Jesus passed that bread out, he said, this body was broken for you. When you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. So we say to God, thank you. Thank you for breaking your body so that my sins could be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took the cup and he handed that out to his disciples and said, this cup, is, is a symbol of my blood, my blood that was spilt for you. This is a new covenant, a new arrangement that you can be cleansed because of my blood. Take this cup and drink it in remembrance of me. In this moment, we say, God, thank you. Thank you for spilling your blood for me so that my sins could be forgiven. God, thank you for your, your death on the cross. Thank you for sending your son so that everyone who believes in you could be saved. God, I thank you for this moment where we stand in righteousness before you. Help us, God, to go from here in your power 
as we go through this next day, this next hour, these next weeks, will we follow where you lead us, God, through all of these things. We pray for healing. Lord, we pray for your will. We pray for wisdom. And God, we pray that you would lead us powerfully in this next season. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad that you could be a part of what's happening. We'd love to hear from you. So don't forget to fill out your connection card at branchlife.church or it's being linked in the chat next to you. And we want to encourage you to let us know how we can pray for you, but maybe answer the question, what did God say to me today? What's something that you heard from God that was an encouragement, that was a challenge? We'd love to hear that from you. Or maybe you have a question. Go ahead and fill out that question and let us know. And you might even hear an answer to that in some of our upcoming teaching times. Again, if you have any questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we want to encourage you guys to go to the Gospel tab or share this Gospel tab with your friends, and you can hear more about how to have faith in Him. And if you want to make worship, uh, giving a part of your worship, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. For those who give regularly, you can do that anytime at branchlife.church slash give. God is on the move, and He's doing some great things, so thank you for giving generously. Maybe for you, the next step is simply this. Join us next week as we continue on through the summer in this series called Follow the, Je- follow the Leader. We want to invite you to join the crowd and follow Jesus. Have a great rest of the day. You'll see, we'll see you next time.